everyone and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 15. I'm your host, Dustin, and as always, we have with us... This is Apple. You got Josh. And we are bringing you all your latest comic news, book news, your comic reviews for the weeks of February 4th and 11th, which is really just comics from the February 11th, since there wasn't any issues on the 4th. And we're going to have a small little discussion about the news that came out of WonderCon. And then we'll throw it over to Nick with Batbooks for Beginners. He's got Batman Year 2 this episode. So without further ado, let's jump right into comic news. Now that's more like it, Mr. Wayne. Alright, the first thing we have is really the only comic news that's happened in the last couple weeks is news that came out of WonderCon. The first thing was that on February 27th, at the DC panel that Friday night, it was announced that Paul Dini will be returning to Batman. His Batman run on Detective has been one of the best that the title's had in years, so... I'm uh, and I agree. He is going to be writing Streets of Gotham and Gotham City Sirens. Oh, and, thank you. Yeah. And Dustin Nguyen will be doing the art for Streets of Gotham. And they have not announced who exactly will be doing the art for Gotham City Sirens, but we still got plenty of time and plenty of conventions between now and June to find out. One thing that Denny noted was that Gotham City Sirens will focus on Catwoman, Poison Ivy, and Harley Quinn, noting that it will not be a humorous book just because it's those characters. He specifically said in an interview that we'll get to in a minute that it won't be the Harley Quinn that everyone is used to him working with. The yeah. other news that came out on that DC Nation panel was that Streets of Gotham will focus on people of Gotham that have a connection to Batman. And then Ian Sattler also pointed out that the new district attorney is a character we might remember from another series. Kate Spencer is the one that he's referring to, as we know, who is Manhunter, which we imagine will no longer be Manhunter now that the Birds of Prey have been disbanded. Spoiler. So was, yeah. Spoiler. I guess it is a spoiler. <laughs> Stephanie Brown, getting, spoiler. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> since we're not getting to that issue with this podcast, I guess it is a spoiler. But it has been out for a couple weeks, so... Anyway, alright, on to the next news. The next day at the DC Universe panel on February 28th, there was an announcement made of who will be the writer on the Batman main series. And even though there was a ton of rumors floating around about Grant Morrison coming back to the title, it was announced that Judd Winnick will return to Batman and team up with Tony Daniel. So who's going to get AIDS then? (laughs) (laughs) Every time Judd Winnick does a run of a title, somebody gets AIDS. (laughs) Who's going to get AIDS? Oh, man. Hopefully not Alfred or anybody, so... (laughs) That was my first thought, Alfred. Oh, my God. Now I'm getting scared. (laughs) We gotta involve Alfred some more. And then so. it's gonna be like the Batman and Robin movie where Alfred was dying and they had to get the, the, <laughs> the, the, the Mr. Freeze. Bit. Take two of these first, and call me in the morning. First aid Gerg disease or whatever. McGregor's <laughs> disease or something. <laughs> That's awesome. Alright, so on to March 5th. Paul Dini did an interview with Newsarama talking more about Streets of Gotham and Gotham City Sirens. And basically some of the highlights were, they asked him, well, as City Sirens and Streets of Gotham always plans for you? Did you pitch the idea to DC after you found out what was going to happen to Batman after Final Crisis? Or did they call you? And he said, a little bit of everything. Basically, I knew I was going to be Streets of Gotham as soon as I heard about it. But City of Sirens, when it was announced, I couldn't resist it. Another question was, with Streets of Gotham, it sounds as if you are going with an all-too-often-ignored take. That is, focusing on how Batman is seen, rather than showing the story through Batman's point of view. What can you say about the different views that will be highlighted? And then he replied, One of the things that has always formed an image of Batman for me goes back to the animated series. The first thing that anybody ever saw from Bruce Tim and Eric Randomski was a little trailer which in part became our opening for the very first animated series, which had these thugs on a rooftop, and Batman is just there. He's like a living shadow. You don't even see any detail on him. He's just a silhouette. I've always liked that interpretation of Batman. You see him from 
the crook's point of view, or you see him from an innocent person's point of view. So with this, it was, let's leave the Batcave behind, let's leave the alter ego behind, let's just do Batman and the effect he has on the people. Yes, that is a great series, and because of the mystique of Batman, that's something that could work. And if you think about all the other heroes in not only the DCU, but the Marvel Universe, how many heroes can have a title where you can just use their supporting characters and not have the main hero in there. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, even even Batman's villains. I mean, name another character with famous villains that even comes close. You know what I mean? As good as Batman's, you know? Man, I can't wait, man. I want to read these stories. They're going to be so great. And, I mean, I guess this doesn't really qualify as a spoiler, but it is a book that we haven't gone to yet. But the Gotham Gazette, Batman Dead thing, if it's going to be anything like that, where it focuses on random big characters like Harvey Bullock, Stephanie Brown, Vicky Vale. It's it's going to be it could be a good series. Mhm. It was remember like the the Gotham Central? That was good. That was such a good book, but I guess they weren't getting a lot of readers as to why they pulled it off, but I mean maybe this is like another go round or maybe they saw some success from that. Yeah, I'm imagining that's what it was or could be. But I think that these series that they're coming out with I've always liked Nightwing, Robin and Birds of Prey just as much as the Batman and Detective comics and I always feel especially with the Robin series more specifically that the stories are great and they don't always have to involve Batman and that's what's really important. If you can tell a story that involves the main character like you said Apple without having the main character there that's that's perfect Mm-hmm yeah, I'm still waiting for Joker's solo, you know, title to go on. So, <laughs> yeah, he had a solo title in the '70s. Yeah, yeah, remember that? Oh man, please, DC, bring that back, please. Yeah, I don't they, see that happening. They could put out a collected edition. Otherwise, just search eBay or your back issue bin. Yeah, but it was '70s Joker, so if he had a title that was out now, it would be like a rated yeah, R we, title. We did. It was called Joker's Asylum. It sucked. It's so- well, that, that doesn't well, count. That was just, it was called Joker's <laughs> Asylum, but each issue was about a different character. Yeah. I, I mean, a series focusing on him. Kind just of like, if, if Harley Quinn could have her own series, then the Joker can get one again. Come on. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Yeah. All right. Also on March 5th, Dan DiDio did an interview with IGN about the future of Batman. And the highlights from that interview were, IGN asked, By shaking up the Batman world like you are, what are your hopes for both his corner of the DCU and the Batman franchise as a whole? He responded, A couple of things are accomplished. First one is we realize how important Bruce Wayne is by his absence. What happens is you see the void that's created in Gotham City, how everyone is affected by it, and how he's affected people over the years. Ultimately, even though he's not there He's still an incredible presence in all these characters' lives and the city itself. That's the first part of the series. The second part is that we have so many other great characters that inhabit Batman's world, and this gives them a chance to shine. We have Alfred moving to the forefront in regards to the Outsiders team, and then, of course, we are going to see things happen with Tim Drake, Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Barbara Gordon. Everyone seems to be moving or changing in some way, shape, or form which I think is really good because even though they've had their own books, those books always felt regulated to run behind Batman's story. Now they'll be part of Batman's story. Then the next highlight was, so ideally six months from now, how do you like Batman's world and the Batman line of books to look and operate? And he responded, I'm hoping that realistically it's going to have a different feel and a different flavor. Ultimately, who winds up in the Batman suit will naturally approach things and do things in a different way. It gives you a chance to explore so many of the stories we've told before when Bruce Wayne was Batman. And then with a new Batman in place, we get to explore those stories again, but from a different set of eyes. And Like I said, that was from IGN. So, moving into our last bit of news... On March 10th, it was announced what book Grant Morrison will be coming back to for Batman. And even though there was rumors floating around, as I talked about earlier, there was rumors floating around of whether or not he was coming back to Batman itself, it was confirmed 
on March 10th by IGN that he will be coming to Batman and Robin the series, and Frank Quietly will be doing the art for that book. You should head over to IGN to check out. They've got some art already up to check out, and then they're also going to be posting a video on the site so that you can check that out as well with some more of the art as well as a bunch of things for all kinds of stuff happening with these new series. Basically, the rumor floating around now is that Batman Robin is going to be a completely different take of Batman Robin, similar to what they tried to do with All-Star Batman Robin, but as we know with... But it won't uh, suck. Yeah, constantly, (laughs) constant cancellations, delays, and a bunch of other dumb reasons for them not to put out the book. This could be something that could take their spot. Yeah, I'm I mean, for it. yeah, I'm for it too. That's what I was about to say. I'm, I'm game. Come on. Just as I said with the last podcast, I'll say it again. We get two Grant Morrisons. We get the one that writes All Star Superman, which everybody loves, critically acclaimed, and then we get the one that writes Final Crisis, where everyone says, "What the heck is going on?" So, hopefully, we'll be getting <laughs> Grant Morrison number one. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I'm just that kind of guy. Alright, so that's going to bring us over into book news. We've got a couple of books coming out in the next couple weeks. The very first one we have is on March 18th, we have The Batman Chronicles, Volume 7. This is going to cover Batman number 12 through 13, Detective Comics number 66 through 70, and World's Finest number 7. Now, as we know, this is a chronological reprinting of every Batman story from the 1940s. And this is slowly working its way up. They're putting one out, uh, what would we say, every six to eight months now? Yeah. It, yes. it, it seems in the beginning it was like kind of like quick, but now it's like taking a little while between them. Okay. It's going to run about fourteen ninety nine. It's going to be 144 pages. Also on March 18th, we have Batman Haunted Gotham. The solicitation for this one reads, The team behind the popular Batman, Dracula, Red Rain, Bloodstorm, and Crimson Mist reunited in 2000 for the four-issue miniseries Haunted Gotham, collected here for the first time. Cut off from the rest of the world, Bruce Wayne must prevail against the nightmare of army demonic villains led by a patchwork Joker. This is going to be 208 pages, and it's going to be 1999 U.S. dollars. Woohoo! And then going into our last one, which is March 25th, Superman, Batman, Enemies Among Us. The solicitation reads, Don't miss this explosive new trade paperback volume collecting Superman, Batman number 28-33. through 33. The JLA's Martian Manhunter attacks Batman. The villainous Parasite and Titano return. Superman's allegiances will be tested in this story involving the Green Lantern Corpse and more. It's going to be 160 pages it's going to be twelve ninety nine U.S. dollars. So that one's pretty, pretty cheap, considering. It's not about money. It's about sending a message. All right, so without further ado, let's jump right into our comic reviews. The first one we are going to do is Nightwing, number 153. Now, this was the final issue. Peter Tomasi wrote it, and Don Kramer did the penciling on the book. This book starts off with... Basically, Nightwing packing up his headquarters in New York City. The JSA is helping him out packing everything up. They clean everything up. He takes off. Nightwing has a nice little discussion with Flash about, you know, do you want me to zip you over to Gotham City? Nightwing says, no, I I need to get a feel for the city again. It's been a while since I've been there, even though we've seen him in Gotham City numerous times in the last couple months. No comment there. (laughs) He He takes the subway to Gotham City. Alfred picks him up at the train station, drives home, and then we get a nice little couple pages of Robin and Nightwing hoisting the giant penny out of the depths of the Batcave. They hoist it up, put it in its place. Then Alfred and Nightwing have a little discussion about, you know, do you think he's coming back? I don't know if he's coming back. And then they have a nice little discussion about, well, you know, if he's really dead, just think, Hell, Jordan, Superman, Oliver Queen, Barry Allen, they all came back, so who knows? Anything's possible. Next couple pages, just Nightwing and Alfred going back and forth. Dick goes up to his room and pulls out 
the candle that, you, if you don't know, you'll find out in a minute, but a candle, and then Nightwing goes down to Park Row, replaces a light bulb, and starts to have, I guess, half flashback, half not flashback, where he's envisioning Bruce Wayne's parents getting gunned down, and then he has a comparison with his parents getting killed. He pulls out the candle, and it's the candle that Bruce had Robin stand before him and take the oath of holding justice. He lights the candle, says the oath again, and takes off. That's pretty much the end of the issue, but moving on to the Origins and Omens story, we're going to throw it over to Josh with this one because he's got some pretty interesting takes on this. Dick Grayson goes to visit Barbara Gordon. Apparently it's her birthday. Barbara is in denial about her age. She says she's 25. When I first flipped through this, I thought that they were reconning her age again because they recently did the Nightwing annual, having her and Dick be the same age, which it's been established that Barbara was a graduate student when she first became Batgirl. So he blindfolds her. He's leading her away somewhere. Turns out they're on an airplane and they go skydiving so Barbara can feel the thrill of flying through the air again. She says thank you, Dick, and he wishes her a happy birthday. We then get a splash page of different images, some of them taking place in the past, some of them taking place in the future. One of them has Nightwing kissing Batgirl, and that's caused some speculation online because Nightwing is kissing Batgirl in his current costume, and Nightwing didn't get his current costume until far after Barbara Gordon ceased being Batgirl and was already Oracle. So this has caused some people to speculate that perhaps Barbara's becoming Batgirl again. You also see two people training and a woman watching. It's pretty much assumed by everyone that that's either Dick and Tim or Dick and Damien, and that the person watching them is Talia. I'm going to go ahead and assume that it's Dick and Damien training together and that they're going to be the new Batman and Robin. Maybe I'm wrong, and that's Talia watching. Ain't Tommy Elliot, so... (laughs) Well, why would Tommy Elliot be in the Origins and Omens for Nightwing's issue? Well, uh, I mean, since he has Bruce's face now, so... Yeah, but it's, it's, Nightwing's, it's, it's Nightwing's origin and omen. They, they, they'd <laughs> save the Tommy Elliot, so... But, it, but it's good. This, this is causing debate. This is making people guess. And why would Tally be watching Tim and Dick train? She doesn't mm-hmm. care. And Dick does have a habit of taking evil people and retraining them. Like I've said before, he did it with Rose Ravager. Deathstroke's daughter. You're right. And this is also some more Dick and Barbara interaction. And like I've said in the past, they were basically engaged. Then he went on his year-long trip with Bruce. He came back early, started flirting with Batwoman and sleeping with that girl Cheyenne, who was the female Nightwing. And they never touched on him and Barbara's engagement because she said that they that she'd wait for him and she kept the ring. And we've had them interact a time or two. And now they're doing stuff like this. So are they getting back together? Is that her that he's kissing? But this isn't the soap opera podcast, so moving on. <laughs> we also get a Batman pointing a gun at Nightwing's head. I'm going to go ahead and assume that this is Jason Todd because it's already been confirmed via solicitations that Jason Todd is the gun-toting Batman. And Jason and Dick do have some issues to work out here. Nightwing is looking pretty bloody like he got his butt handed to him. We also get the bat signal, which is broken. So, And on the top, right by the Batman and who's assumed to be Batgirl kissing him. We have Batman, or some Batman, having a talk with Nightwing. And again, I'm going to assume that it's Jason Todd, or it could just be a flashback to one of Bruce and Dick's other confrontations. These origin and omen things, it's really confusing with what's supposed to be the future and what's supposed to be the past. And some people have also speculated that the kissing Batgirl is just the Kate Kane Batwoman, but... If you look at that for two seconds, you could see that they have very different masks, so that theory is out. Of course, all of our theories go out the window if the artist just didn't know what the heck they were doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, he could have just been assuming that Dick had that costume back when Barbara was Batgirl. It could have just been a mistake, because there was an almost kiss in Nightwing Year One miniseries, but he was still wearing the George Perez disco costume. True. Really? Okay, and now Peter Tomasi's Batman and the Outsider special. This is a standalone issue, but it's part of the greater story, as if that isn't contradicting enough. But they took a break from the main title to publish this special to set up for what's going to be the new status quo of the series. We open up, and as with the other issues, we are dealing with different people's 
reactions to Batman's supposed death. And we have Alfred. He's at Thomas and Martha Wayne's grave, and he's trying to make sense of it all. And he's talking to them, and he's saying that he's grieving for Bruce because Bruce was like a son to him as well. That night, Alfred is sleeping, and there's some sort of alarm going off in Wayne Manor. And he says, well, I guess Bruce, he still has some surprises up his sleeve. He goes downstairs, and there's a black dome cylinder type thing. And we'll talk more about that object when we review Robin. But it's basically Bruce leaves little messages in there in the event of his death. Alfred goes in to listen to a message, and we get an old message from Bruce. And it's actually very, very warm coming from what you would usually expect from Bruce. He talks to Alfred, and he thanks him for raising him, and says that Alfred is basically like a dad to him, and he says, goodbye, dad. And Alfred has a little tear up his eye. After that big heartfelt speech, Bruce gets down to business. He says, okay, now on to new business in priority one. And he starts to talk to Alfred about why he originally formed the Outsiders. We don't hear the whole thing in that conversation because it cuts off, but he tells Alfred that he does have a job for them and that the Outsiders' work isn't done yet. We then go to the country of Marco. And Alfred meets up with Geoforce. Alfred is gathering different people from the Outsiders, and he's trying to get them to join the new Outsiders. After that, we go to Roy Raymond Jr., and he's using his little detective skills and some equipment to solve a crime. Alfred comes in contact with him as well to get him to join the Outsiders. Then you see that Alfred is earning his freaking fire medals because he's now in con deck, but he gets captured before he can meet his next person. In the cave, when he's captured, he's confronted by Jack Ryder, a.k.a. the Creeper, and somehow or the other, and my understanding of how the Creeper's transformations work is a little vague because it's been contradicted from time to time, but Alfred gets him to transform into the Creeper and free him, another new member for the new Outsiders. We then go to Japan, where Katana is doing her whole earthly training meditation stuff, Alfred meets up with her as well, and as we're later going to find out, Katana wasn't alone when Alfred met up with her. Chicago, Black Lightning, and this meetup is very, very brief, while the other ones were more padded. Alfred literally just sticks his head out a window and says, Hello, Mr. Pierce. Alfred, yes. Well, what are you doing up there? May I have a word with you? And that's it. And then we have Halo, who is in New Orleans, helping kids show what it's like to have powers by using her powers to make them fly and they're all pretending to be different people looks like we have some adults in there as well one of them's i'm hop girl and then the older guy says i'm mr terrific alfred goes ahead invites her to join we go back to katana who's doing her thing when all of a sudden out of her body comes metamorpho rex turns out that after the events of the remax situation in the outsider's title he had hidden in her body until it was safe to come out again a little creepy and a little weird, and her reaction to this is not as freaked out as you would think. She's like, ew, but then just kind of forgives him, and they hug and walk off together. We then go to Elsewhere, and it even says, when they're doing the locations, that it's actually called Elsewhere, and we see, in the Outsider's title, they kept on doing cutaways in the last issues to some sort of temple where there was rituals going on, and we're back to that again. And it looks like there's a sacrifice going on, and some guy, and you don't see his full body, is ripping people apart. And it ends with, so let us feed, my brothers and sisters, waste not, want not, or we will face what is the most reprehensible thing of all to us, death. And it looks like that's going to be a threat that the new outsiders are going to face, the ones that Alfred just got together. And it tells us that the adventure is going to continue in Outsiders number 15. We'll see what the truth is. And that's going to take us into Batman Confidential number 26. Now, guys, this title has been delivering month after month, so this is awesome. What it does now is in 26, it introduces a new story, and it brings back a familiar character from the 60s, but with a different origin. Now, in this book arrives King Tut. Yes, King Tut is back, guys. And... He's not from the 60s. This King Tut is very rich, and he's a murderer. So that's awesome in the Batman's villain's case. So in here, you have King Tut going around and actually murdering museum executives. Okay? And so, you know, it's, it's getting Batman involved. And what's happening is that riddles are being left. So, okay, you know, it's the Riddler. All right, case closed. No. 
what it is is that Riddler has been locked away. So who are leaving these Riddles that are taking Riddler's M.O. away? And that's what Batman has to solve. Now, at the end, of course, you know, Batman's going to go ahead and have Riddler involved in this story. And this story, of course, has been brought to us by Weir and D. Philippus, who we've interviewed on the Batman Universe specials. And I wanted to see how King Tut was being used. This issue on issue 26, guys, Confidential, is amazing. The cool part within this book is you get to see a new Batmobile. So Batmobile fans, go pick this up and look at the cool Batmobile. The story, of course, we're going to try to guess, okay, you know, who's it going to be? You know, how's the King Tut like? This King Tut kicks butt within this issue. So, guys, I don't want to really spoil for you because Batman Confidential has been so great. So, Go out there and pick it up and enjoy it. i got to get me one of those. Okay, that is going to move us along with the final issue of Robin, issue 183. And the cover, for those of you who have been following this series and this character for a while, you'll see that it's a homage to the cover of the first issue of the first Robin series that Chuck Dixon did many, many years ago. And there's a few different homages to that miniseries within this book. It starts off with somebody at a hotel, a woman. They don't say who she is at first, but we later find out that it's Lady Shiva. Somebody at the hotel delivers her some chocolates, and she's like, yeah, sure. She writes out a handwritten note, and that note gets delivered to the police station to Officer Harper, who's dressed up really, really nice. She calls Robin with the bat signal. Now, last issue, that was actually the Robin signal, but they explain the in-story reason that they changed it back to the bat signal. So that way the villains would think that Batman was still out there and the people would feel safer. She shows Robin the note and it says Robin dies at dawn, which is an homage to a Silver Age story called Robin Dies at Dawn. And it says the little bird has found his song, I said once long ago, but still wails a tale of sadness. Where first met lovely death, a test for Gotham's best, the night's last night fears, hero's gone and the mirror knows that Robin dies at dawn. Robin figures out who this is. He tells Detective Harper to have fun on her date, which she tells him that that's why she's dressed up for. Robin figures out immediately who this is. It's Lady Shiva, because in the first Robin miniseries, Lady Shiva was one of the people who trained him, and she talks about little things that are alluded to in the note, like the bird finally finding his song. That's what she said to him when Robin first beat her in combat. It was a really good miniseries. While Robin's in the Batcave, pondering the Shiva situation, in comes in Jason Todd. Apparently, Tim had invited him because that little black metallic object that Bruce has his will and testament in, it makes an appearance in here as well. And he has messages for different people in the Bat family, including one for Jason Todd. So Jason Todd goes in to hear his message. He comes out and him and Tim verbally spar a little bit. And Jason Todd is a little reflective, and he's looking at his old Robin case, and we don't know exactly what Bruce said to him, but hopefully something along the lines of, you know, stop being such a douche. (laughs) And Jason Todd leaves the Batcave, and Tim says, I'm going to change the codes a minute after you leave. Basically, he's been given a second chance, but you're not welcome here. Tim then wondering, before he faces Shiva, if he's going to live or die, you know, starts to cut some ties, partially because it's good, this might be his last fight, and partially because with Bruce gone, his life is going to be taking a new turn. He calls Zoan and breaks up with her and realizes that he didn't have much time for her anyway. He calls his friend Ives, and they chat and have a good time. He goes ahead and tries to call Stephanie Brown spoiler, but she doesn't take his call. Probably has something to do with the last time that they spoke. He kind of gave her a verbal beating and said, told her not to be spoiler anymore. He goes and checks on Officer Harper, and it turns out that she's on a date with Jason Bard. So that's fine with him. So then he goes off to face Shiva. Before we do, we get a little cutaway. It's Anarchy, the current Anarchy, which is the general, arguing with the old Anarchy, who's hooked up to a bunch of machines. And it's just basically reminding you what's been going on. They're arguing about if what he's doing is the actual nature of Anarchy or not. And I'm sure that we're going to get more of that in the Red Robin series, if Tim is the Red Robin. So Tim goes ahead and meets Shiva, and he says, why are you fighting me? And she says, because of your presumption, child. Apparently because he's presuming that he can carry on and protect Gotham as if he was Batman. They start to fight when all of a sudden her body shuts down. It turns out that the chocolates that were delivered to her at the hotel at the beginning were delivered from Tim. Tim knew that she was in town and predicted the outcome of all this. 
and the chocolates were set to act up in her system when she was fighting and shut her down. And he said that he had planned for all that, and basically that he knew that she would not be able to resist chocolates. That's right. This whole plan presided <laughs> on the fact that Lady Shiva couldn't resist chocolate. It turned out that Nightwing was watching this all along, checking on his little brother there to make sure everything was all right. And he says, you know we're going to be okay, right? He says, yeah, Nightwing, I know. So then Tim swings away, and that ends the first part of the issue. We then go into Origins and Omens. Tim is approaching a temple. Apparently, he's going to confront the Obia Man. The Obia Man is someone who hasn't been seen in the Bat Book since either the late 80s or the early 90s. But basically, he's the one who killed Tim's mother and, at the time, crippled his father, Jack Drake, before he got cured around the Nightfall era. The Obia man's free, and Tim's going to take him down once and for all, or so his monologue says. The Obia man uses some voodoo to give him some flashbacks of his parents, and Tim overcomes that within the span of about a page, because this is just a short backup, and basically gives the Obia man what for with his staff, and says that he's taking him to jail. Earlier on in the backup, he had alluded to perhaps killing him, but the dialogue was vague enough that it turned out that he was just going to take him to jail. And then we get a splash page of more origin and omen stuff. We get another gun-toting Batman, like I said, who we now know is Jason Todd. We have Ra's al Ghul putting his hand on somebody's shoulder. And judging by the artwork, it could either be Tim or Damien, but it looks a little old to be Damien. So I wonder if Tim is going to take Ra's al Ghul up on his original offer to join him, perhaps to bring Bruce back to life. I don't know. We then get Tim and Dick... Who I think is Dick. It's somebody in a Batman... Co- well, it looks like a Batman costume because it's overlapping with the gun-toting Batman, but he could be in any costume. But it looks like Tim and Dick arguing. What are they arguing about? I have a bunch of theories on that, which are too long to get into now. One of them is that it's the inclusion of Damien into the Bat family, or it could be about using Ra's al Ghul to revive Batman. It could be about many things. And I suspect that Tim might go rogue as Red Robin. We then have a big picture of Anarchy's face, so he's going to be figuring very, very prominently into Tim's future. And that's the end of that backup, and that's the end of Tim's solo series. Holy hole in a donut! And that's going to take us into Batman 686, the long-awaited return of Neil Gaiman and Adam Kubert. This is the first Whatever Happened to the Cape Crusader. This is part one. And this book was very cool because, as you guys know, I love the Batmobiles. I love, I even love villain vehicles. This one starts off very cool. And I want to read this part because it, it, it kind of gives you that the Scrooge story where the, the past goals get to show Scrooge's life the way it was before. Because you kind of get that. And it says, where am I? You're here in Gotham. Am I dreaming? No, you aren't dreaming. This is Gotham. I mean, I know it's Gotham, but it's strange. I know Gotham like I know myself. I know this alley, but it's not right. This is watch, wait, you'll see. And what that is, is that it's showing, it looks like Bruce is like on third person view where he starts seeing like these gatherings of all his rogue villains coming in here. But not the villains, but also people he knows. You have Commissioner Gordon, you have Barbara. But one interesting scene in the first part is where Catwoman asks, you know, where she's going through the back of a door. And Joe Shills says, you know, they've been waiting for you. They're in the back. Joe Shills, the bartender. Which is kind of weird, but it's kind of, you know, it's in Bruce's memory, you know, of course. They go into the gathering of the building, and of course there's a coffin there, and Selena Kyle sees Alfred, and of course there goes Batman, he's in a coffin. Batman says, you know, but that's that's me. That's what Batman was saying. And of course it pans out and you see all the other villains coming. You see Two-Face come in in a very cool vehicle. You see Joker come in in a very cool vehicle also. It's starting to tell the tale of the very first one to come up and tell the tale as you do. You know, I guess at a funeral, you kind of, you know, relay your memories. And, of course, it's Selena Kyle, and it's talking about her her encounters with Batman. And it's very cool because it gives you that kind of the, the late 30s, early 40s feel of when Selena Kyle and Batman did meet. Also, kind of a little twist in here is that because Selena Kyle loves Batman, she kind of gives it up. You know, she starts her own store, which, of course, it's Kyle's quality cats and kittens. Okay, so it just shows her, you know, time's going by and she's just there taking care of this cat store. And then one one panel leads to another and 
you see Batman and he looks like he's been shot and he goes down to the couch and of course he says you lost too much blood you know and then of course Batman's you know asking you know for help because he's by there and she goes you know you know you came here because you love me and and I let you die because I love you that's how she responds to him and Batman's just lying down on the couch and she goes that's it she closes Batman's eyes and then it pans out to the funeral and then saying that that's how he died because she let him die within that and within her couch. And then, of course, she walks away crying. And, of course, then it pans into Alfred and then Alfred starts to speak. And then, it's, of course, it's the gentleman's gentleman's tale. And then showing Alfred as, you know, an actor. And then he, he has to come and take over for Jarvis Pennyworth, take over to take care of the Waynes. And so everything happens. Bruce goes on. He He builds himself up. But the thing is that Alfred is trying to help Bruce within, I guess, trying trying to help him be comforted to be Batman. And so Alfred then becomes Riddler, becomes some of his greatest villains, even becomes as a Joker, which was a very cool part within these pages. Of course, it says, you know, that he was the one that, you know, killed him because, it, you know, Batman was still needed. But it couldn't be because as the panel pans out, you see the Joker there. You see all the villains that Alfred was saying to be. So it's kind of weird in that in that scene. But it leaves us like that, guys. It leaves us hanging like to wanting more. So uh, we're gonna have to wait till six eighty seven to find out what's part two. So he's here. Who? The Batman. All right, so that brings us into Simon Dark, number 17. This story basically goes... You can see that the story of Simon Dark is slowly dwindling down. But the plot is, basically Simon's coming home, and he stops at his church shelter and sees a large pool of blood. Tom and Beth arrive just behind him and confirms his worst fear. That guy, who was in past issues, is Simon's brother has been roaming around Gotham and has taken Gus, which we saw in the last issue. Then Simon uses his sight power to see Tom's brain to see exactly what he looks like so they, they can figure out exactly where he's taking Gus. Beth grabs a box of the tapes that Gus had to give to Simon. Then we get to a part where Gus is starting to drift in and out of consciousness long enough to determine that the creature who has taken him is one that he created a long time ago. Simon and Tom arrive to stop the creature, but it's pretty much too late. Tom takes on the monster. He starts fighting with them back and forth while Simon sits by Gus's side. After Simon watches Gus die, basically in his arms, Simon stands up and basically wants to fight his brother. He rips him in half with his bare hands before the fight even starts. Then there's a weird part where Tom suddenly starts to wake up after being knocked unconscious after he was fighting the, the monster and finds the monster dead, but he can't see Simon anywhere. Then all of a sudden, a glow of white light is able to be seen by Tom and he looks up to see Simon and Gus floating in midair, being held by the tentacles of a giant squid-like creature. And we're under the assumption that this is the in-between that has been talked about in past issues. And that is Simon Dark, number 17. Yeah. So, that ends up our comic reviews. Let's jump over to the review wrap-up. The first one we've got is Nightwing... Number 153, the final issue of Nightwing. Um, Peter Tomasi, his stories are great in some issues, and in some issues they just kind of, what was going on? In this issue, I would say, as the last couple, the Nightwing issues have just felt like they are filler stories. They don't really need to be there. This final issue with all the heartfelt goodbyes the Nightwing had, with discussions with different people about Bruce being gone, I can understand having it, but it's drawn out. It could have been better like the Robin series where there was something that actually happened and then they have the discussion. But the last couple issues have just been kind of filler-like. They've been pressing along just because they wanted to end the same month as all these other series. 
The Origins and Omens stories, I don't have any issues with those. I would say they're pretty good. Give us a, a view of what could happen in the future, as, as already has happened in the past. But with this Nightwing in the final issue, I'm just going to give it a two and a half Batarangs out of five. One thing I wanted to note about that Nightwing issue, I think that it has some more clues that he might be one of the Batmans. Did you see the little year one homages within the issue? Mm-hmm. If yeah. You look, yeah, you look at the page of Nightwing on the train, It's and he talks about how he wants to go into the city to see it. It's exactly something similar to the Commissioner Gordon pages from there. And just like when Bruce came into Gotham City, he's greeted by Alfred. Dick the same way. So, just food for thought. Batman and the Outsider special. Part of this issue was padded, and I'm not sure if it deserves the $3.99 price tag that it got. On the other hand, it was well-written, but really it can just be summed up. Alfred goes around the world and recruits different Outsiders, and that's really what it was. It was extended introductions, but it was extended introductions that was done well, and it's kind of cool to bring Alfred out of Wayne Manor and have him basically traveling around the world interacting with these different superheroes and you see his thoughts on the whole Bruce thing and how the father-son relationship which isn't explored a lot the art was okay I had some places it was a little sloppy like the introduction of Halo and stuff and I'm a little curious about these villains in the back and the sacrifice that they've been teasing at for a while I think I'm going to go ahead and give it a 4 out of 5 batterings okay and Batman Confidential 26 I love this series. It, it it just seems to deliver every time. You cannot be disappointed with this series. When when we first heard about King Tut coming back, I was excited right off the bat because I'm I'm glad to see, you know, old villains that have kind of faded away come back and be new again. And of course, you know, think I want to thank Weir and DeFilippis for even bringing King Tut for the first time to comics. I thought this one was well written. It it was a lot better than what I was thinking how the story was going to go. So even with the interview that we did with them, it was it was still something that was very surprising. The art from Jose Luis Garcia Lopez and Kevin Nolan, man, this team is they're, they're going to be a good team, you know, as long as they stay together. I love this book. I, I loved how they made King Tut vicious. I like how they're involving the Riddler. I really like this book. And for every comic fan, you're supposed to say, man, this book is not supposed to be that good. It's not supposed to be that good. You you always feel somewhere that DC is supposed to let you down some way, s- somewhere. You know what, guys? Batman Confidential is not doing that. And in some cases, this might be the best book out there to be picking up and reading of Batman. And for some reasons, people just say, hey, you know what? This one's okay. It's, it might be a fair issue. You know what? It, it's consistent. And I really like what they did with this issue. Story, artwork, I'm going to go ahead and give this four out of five batterings. And that's going to bring us into the final issue of Robin. And this is a little bit of a sentimental one for me because... Robin, when Chuck Dixon first wrote it, that was one of the first comic books I ever read and one of the first Batman comics that I followed regularly. I like how it brings in some stuff from the first miniseries from the early 90s, including Lady Shiva, and Fabian did his homework. He includes some of the dialogue and themes, like the bird finding its song. We get to check in on all the supporting casts. I guess Zoanne doesn't really figure into the new direction of whatever Tim's life is, so they just wrote her out quickly. I feel like they never knew what they were going to do with her anyway. She was just Robin's token human girlfriend that got mad at him every time he had an excuse. Once again, we have some Tim and Jason sparring back and forth, which I enjoyed it in the early issues, but it's starting to get a little tiring. Can we have Jason do something else aside from going back and forth with Tim? All in all, I like the main story. The origins and omens was kind of a mixed thing for me because on the one hand, something big like Tim confronting the killer of his mom, I think that it should have been done in something that wasn't just a two or three page backup. Well, six pages really. And it was literally a fight that was only a few panels long. He hits him on the head with the staff. You're going to jail. That's it. And I feel like they just had that in there because they were like, oh, wait, we're ending his series. And we never had him throughout the whole series confront the person that killed his mom. Let's sneak that into the backup. So I was a little disappointed in that regard. 
he couldn't confront him in the Red Robin series or the Batman and Robin series or whatever series he's going to do. Because at one point, Chuck Dixon was going to write the confrontation, but the story kept on getting delayed. So I just feel like they rushed this one in there. And that kind of brought a little bit of the book down for me. But I think I'm going to go ahead and give the book as a whole four out of five batterings. And I'm sad to see it go. And that's going to take us into Batman 686, Neil Gaiman and Adam Kubert. I really like this. And, of course, guys, you know, we, we've been waiting to see what was going to go on. And even when they announced that Gaiman was coming back to even write this, Andy Kubert's artwork within here was kind of amazing because he pulled off some of the 30s, 40s looks with his style. And uh, you, it was just awesome. It, it, it was I, I love this. I love this story. I I don't know where it's going, and that's a good thing about Gaiman. But it seem like Bruce. This is hey Bruce. This is a look back at your life. But it's really a twist on his life. I really liked it. the The story was awesome. the The artwork was awesome. I want to go ahead and give this uh, about four point five batterings out of five. The only reason why I won't give it a full five batterings is because it, it's, it had something missing. And for, for that aspect, you know, I wanted to see, I wanted to see more and I guess I, it left me wanting more. And that's what, you know, comic books are supposed to do. So yeah, 4.5 batterings out of five. And that brings us over to Simon Dark, number 17. Every single time I review this book, I never really have anything good to say. All I can say is Steve Niles needs to stick to zombies and ghosts because he's good at that. Simon Dark is somewhat of a zombie, but at the same time, I don't think having him in Gotham City really made sense considering he never comes in contact with any of the supporting cast of Gotham City whatsoever, which doesn't make any sense because you would think if people are dying and being killed, he'd somehow cross paths with somebody in Gotham City, but that never happens. This is the second to last issue, and once again, it just seems like a filler. They took one event and drew it out over the entire book because they were told, hey, you're ending with issue 18, and they said, crap, what are we filling in between now and then? So I'm going to give this one out of five batterings. So moving into our discussion for this podcast we're just going to talk about the news that came out of WonderCon about paul dini writing streets of gotham and gotham city sirens and then judd winnick coming back and writing batman oh i'm excited for it i'm i, I mean ever since i heard the, about the titles and especially about the streets of gotham i've been i don't know why but i've been excited for that title and even paul dini just to come back and write it i'm, I'm gonna be in heaven when, once i pick it up i'm just gonna come home Get something to drink, sit down on the couch, and just just be happy I got it. If it's anything, like I said, like the Gotham Zet Batman Dead issue was, and again, I know that we haven't gone to discussing that in the podcast yet, but if it's anything like that, I'm all for this. And there's lots of minor characters in this series that you within the whole Batman title that you can focus on, which will be great. You have the police force, you have people from Wayne Enterprises, you have the villains, their families, their friends, old characters, even within their own titles. There's so much to explore, and I hope that they do that. Yeah, I'm really hoping that Paul Dini does a great job of exploring a lot of different avenues of Batman's world, and I think he, out of most the writers that are working with DC right now, he would probably be the number one pick for a book like Streets of Gotham, because he's very good at using a combination of different characters to make a good story. And with Gotham City Sirens, we all know he works well with Poison Ivy, Harley Quinn, and Catwoman. As long as we're not going to get a Gotham Girls series, which he's already said he's it's not going to be, I'm all for that series as well. All I can say overall is that June is going to be a great month for Batman comics. Well, as March is right now. And you know, we were a little scared because we were like, man, what what are we going to have between then to read a Batman? And I guess we're pretty safe. Yeah, mass <laughs> cancellation of every single title. <laughs> but, you know, if it's if these new titles are any good, then I could kind of forgive some of these cancellations and relaunches. I just am notoriously tired of relaunches, and I'm glad that Outsiders is going to be continuing its new numbering instead of relaunching again because it seems that every time a character or a title goes in a different direction they say well let's just relaunch it 
I think that's because of the the, the times, the way the, the way the times are right now within, you know, within comic books. It, it's it's such an, you know, we're a niche, you know what I mean? So, uh, I don't know. I, I You know, I've gotten frustrated with that. You know, it used to happen like almost every three years it used to launch something new. I, I guess I just gotten used to it. This number is kind of getting high. I think they're going to probably relaunch it pretty soon. You know, I always get that feeling. Just as long as they don't relaunch Detective, which is on its way to issue 900. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's, let's make it there. Well, let's think back about, like, how many months ago was it when we were sitting here all thinking that they were going to cancel Batman and Detective and start fresh? Mm-hmm. <sighs> I'm glad that they didn't do that. That That's on the list of the Grayson TV series as bad ideas. <laughs> <laughs> that's our discussion. We don't need to go over a whole lot of it because it wasn't a whole lot of news that came out of it. Make sure you're checking out IGN because there's all kinds of, like I said, I think the last podcast, IGN's really the site to go to for all the exclusive Batman stuff. They've got at least a couple interviews a week with different people doing working on the Bat books. They have been the site that has had all of the previews for all the Battle for the Cow books. So... Check it out. They've even got some video interviews that they did with Dan DiDio, Mike Martz, and Tony Daniel on there. So they're pretty good. So head over to IGN, the comic section, and check that out. So I guess without further ado, let's throw over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello and welcome back to BBFB. My name is Nick and welcome back. Today we're looking at Batman Year 2 and if you're new to the podcast this is a segment where I review a particular book in each segment. We've done about five or six so far. It's going very well. If this is really a segment designed for those who are new to comics and interested in learning a bit more about Batman, before I started I haven't read many books at all, but I'm enjoying it so far, and um, do please join in with me, and you'll learn a lot more about Batman as we go through his career in the trade paperback books. So Batman Year Two is the title of a four-part story arc written by Mike Barr, who worked on Detective Comics, and in August 1983, he created what may well be his most enduring work, the monthly title Batman and the Outsiders where he wrote every issue of the first series and its spin-off, The Outsiders, and received a lot of critical acclaim. Year 2 is also illustrated by Alan Davis, Paul Neary, Alfredo Alcala, Mark Farmer and Todd McFarlane. The artists on the project changed halfway through, which is why there's so many involved. Year 2 originally appeared in, the, in Detective Comics number 575 to 578. After the success of Frank Miller's Batman Year One, based on Batman's first days as a vigilante in Gotham City, DC Comics commissioned a few follow-ups to capitalise on the miniseries' success. The story was collected as a trade paperback in 1990, which is the one I've got, and in 2002 DC Comics published a second printing of the trade paperback, this time with the addition of the one-shot sequel, Batman Full Circle, included which I will mention briefly towards the end of this segment. Uh, And this new edition was retitled as Batman Year 2 Fear the Reaper. What the hell are you? I'm Batman. The basic plot is that Batman, by now, is an established vigilante in Gotham City. Captain Gordon has recently succeeded Loeb as police commissioner, and is addressing local media stations on his new stature. The media also reflects on the anniversary of the final sighting of Gotham's first vigilante, the Reaper. Bruce Wayne, in the meantime, is visited by an old acquaintance, Leslie Tompkins, the medic who helped to raise him after his parents were murdered, and knows all too well of his double life. She is joined by Judson Caspian and his daughter Rachel, who gradually develops a romantic infatuation with Bruce Wayne. It soon comes to light that Judson is really the Reaper, driven to his life by the tragic death of his wife, and it takes only one stroll down Gotham to remind Judson of the horrors of his crime. He thought he had put to rest long ago in his dual identity. 
He returns to his apartment and dons the Reaper costume. Immediately making an impact and leaving several criminals dead, Batman and the Reaper soon come face to face, but the Reaper's experience and weaponry prove too much for Batman, and he's left bloodied, broken, and forced to flee before he is killed. Upon returning to Wayne Manor, a bandaged, injured Bruce angrily admits that his best wasn't enough, and that perhaps the only way to confront a killer with his measure of thinking, head-on, is to become that which he loathes the most, prompting him to now bear a firearm, the gun that took the lives of his parents. Batman's vendetta against the Reaper leads to a falling out with Gordon, whom Batman nearly wounds or kills to prevent him from getting closer to what he considers his prey. Gordon misinterprets this action as Batman following in the Reaper's murderous footsteps, and soon deploys his forces against both Batman and the Reaper. As the Reaper lays waste to Gotham's underworld, various crime lords assemble and discuss ways of defeating him. Batman eventually intervenes in the meetings and proposes they join forces against the Reaper. The crime lords agree, but only if Batman cooperates with a hand-picked agent of their choosing. That individual is Joe Chill, the man who shot Thomas and Martha Wayne. Knowing his reason for being is working alongside him, Batman schemes to take Chill's life once the Reaper is disposed of while at the same time he lays the groundwork for his life after Batman, asking Rachel not to convert to a nunnery and marry him. She accepts. There is a battle which kills most of the underworld connections tied to Batman and Chill, as well as helping convince Gordon that Batman is not connected to the Reaper in his crimes. The Reaper is presumed dead, Batman and Chill escape separately, but meet up later at night at Batman's insistence. Batman takes Chill to a familiar alley, the alley where Chill took the lives of the Waynes. Batman reveals his identity to the shocked Chill and taunts him with the gun he used on them. Chill, stunned, remains composed, convinced that Batman will not pull the trigger. Before Bruce can find out, the Reaper re-emerges and kills Chill point-blank with a gunshot. Now knowing Bruce's identity, the Reaper beckons Batman to a final confrontation in the frameworks of the under-construction Wayne Foundation. There, Batman and the Reaper fight to a standstill, and Batman eventually discovers the Reaper is Judson, before he jumps and kills himself, realising that the way of the gun is not for him. Batman places Chill's gun in the cornerstone of the Wayne Foundation building, to be sealed away when construction is completed. Bruce returns to Rachel, who has heard the news from television. Her path is now clear. Judson was her father, and she must atone for his sins. She produces her nun dressings and calls off the engagement. Bruce returns to Proud Gotham Streets as its sole vigilante for the present. Don't let me find you out here again. Now in review, the intro to the book by Barr says it all for me. He says, how could anyone follow year one? And I agree with him. That was his biggest problem, that was his dilemma. So his solution was to contrast year one with year two. And I think to do this, he wanted to really shock the Batman community and alter and affect Batman's rules so that the community would pay attention and check this book out. And the main way he did that was by introducing the gun. I think the choice that Bruce makes to use this gun comes way too soon in the book and as a result falls flat on its face. Bruce has one setback a defeat to the Reaper, and immediately goes for a gun. This isn't the Batman we know, and he, he then wants to kill the Reaper and kill Joe Chill, and it's just not within the character we know, which is a bad move. I also felt the story was really rushed. I don't know if they didn't have the time or amount of comics to publish what they wanted, but the narrative makes jumps and skips ahead. The reader can keep up with what's going on, but it just ruins the story slightly. For example, Batman and the Reaper are on board a plane, waiting on the runway. The police arrive, there's an explosion, and all of a sudden, our characters are a distance away from the plane with no explanation of how they got there. There were also unnecessary additions to the plot. The Wayne building being constructed was introduced at the start, and then towards the end of the book, the Reaper sees Bruce in an alley dressed as Batman and realises his true identity. Then for some reason there's a sudden jump in the story, and even though the characters were face-to-face -face in the alley... They then decide to go and meet at this at the Wayne building. Why didn't they just fight in the alley? I don't know. Poor storytelling, perhaps? Just trying to crowbar that Wayne Tower into the story, and it's done very clumsily and it doesn't work. 
there are some good points, of course, but the moments we get to learn about uh, Joe Chill are interesting. The interaction between Chill and Batman are good, um, especially when Batman knows he has to use him and keep him alive. A particular moment that was excellent was when Chill was hanging on the edge of a building and Batman was unsure whether to help him or not. However, I did have a problem with Chill when he was jumping rooftop. When he was jumping rooftops with Batman, it seemed stupid that Chill could keep up and jump those distances. Uh, it was also the first time on this segment that we've encountered Leslie Tompkins, a character that Barr sees as an interesting addition to the Batman family. I can't help but wonder whether she's unnecessary in this book, as she does no more than what Alfred typically does. He was sidelined as a result. Unless there's more development with her and a bit more meat to her story, I don't, think, I don't see the point in her inclusion. She's just a substitute for Alfred. But it was nice to have a different character interact with the real Bruce Wayne. Uh, there was also some good artwork. My favourite moment would have been when Gordon felt betrayed by Batman and snapped his pipe. It really, The artwork really brought out the anger of him. And even though the, art, the team of artists changes halfway through the book, it does disrupt the story just temporarily, but the artwork's pretty good, so there's not much fuss there. Overall, I would say that this book is average, maybe below average. Following up year one is a challenge, and this book will always be compared with it because of its title. The Reaper is a good villain, and is intriguing enough to bring the reader in, and even though there's very little backstory, it's all a little bit rushed. However, Batman is so quick to pick up that gun, it doesn't fit with our knowledge of the character. As well as the fact he meets a girl, has a date or two, and then he gets engaged. It's all too quick. I wonder if Barr was given more time to spend on the story, where the bits could be fleshed out and make it more interesting. I feel like he had a huge script that was really good that had to be edited really heavily to fit it all into the time frame he was given. So overall I give the book 2 out of 5 Batarangs. If you're interested in seeing Batman in a new light, then get it. But the departure from Batman's typical attitude is a real problem and brings the book down in its score. You can't change Batman's attitude that much, especially in the manner Barr did. Now, a couple of extra notes are that the sequel, Batman at Full Circle, was also written by Barr, and it was set many years later and centred on the son of Joe Chill assuming the mantle of the Reaper. The story reunited most of the cast of Year 2 and incorporated Robin, the Dick Grayson version, into the story. However, after Year 2 and the disappointment of it, I have no desire to read or review this story. There are issues concerning canon with Year 2, it was deemed to have been retconned, i.e. removed from continuity, due to uh, the zero-hour storyline. However, after the events of Infinite Crisis, Joe Chill's arrest has been restored into continuity, meaning the story could very well be within Batman's history again. I personally don't pay attention to these sort of things myself, and I regard every Batman book as being part of the Batman mythos. If you've seen Batman at Mask of the Phantasm, you may notice that Rachel Caspian and the Reaper are very similar to Andrea Beaumont and the Phantasm in that film, so clearly there was inspiration. As well as in Christopher Nolan's series, where Chill's death in Year 2 was adapted from the movie Batman Begins. The scene in Full Circle, the sequel, where Bruce throws a firearm that took his parents' life into the ocean is also adopted for the movie. The minor subplot of Bruce plotting to kill Chill only to have someone beat him to it was also adopted in the movie but executed differently. And you also might notice that the love interest of Bruce in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, Rachel Dawes, shares the first name of Rachel Caspian as well as the decision to ultimately reject Bruce. In conclusion, you can always contact me on the batmanuniverse.net forums as well as putting your own comments up there about what you felt about this book how you think uh, my segment is going, and um, as well as a reading list telling you all the books I'm going to be doing in the future. And I've also added polls for this book, as well as all the books I've reviewed earlier, and you can rate them yourselves out of one to five batarangs. Do you agree with my review, or do you think I've not done the book justice? Or overrated it? The next book I'm going to be reviewing is Batman and the Monster Men. Sounds a bit cheesy, I know, but... Um, the artwork on the front cover looks pretty good, so I'm looking forward to that one. So that's BBFB for this time. I've been Nick, and now it's time to go back to Dustin and the guys. 
Alright, so that was Batman Year 2. Make sure you pick up the next book for next time on Bat Books for Beginners. Let's go over our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. The first ones we have on March 18th, we have Azrael, Death's Dark Knight, number one of three. As we talked about earlier, The Batman Chronicles, volume seven, and Batman Haunted Gotham. And then on March 25th, we have Oracle of the Cure, number one of three. Batman, Battle for the Cow Commissioner Gordon, one shot. Batman, Gotham After Midnight, number 11 of 12. Batman, The Brave and the Bold, number 3. And also, as we talked about earlier, Superman, Batman, Enemies Among Us. So let's go over the comics that we're going to be covering the next time on the podcast. Not too many, but we do have some. We are going to be covering Superman, Batman, number 55. Birds of Prey, number 127. Batman Gotham After Midnight, number 10 of 12, and Batman the Brave and the Bold. We are working on a way to try to get the comics a little more current. Mostly it's more of a trying to figure out a perfect week to catch up with the things that's already out so that we're not flooded with too many comics in one episode. We might actually work it into next time, at least get one week ahead than what we are now. But it's all about trying to figure out the perfect time to do it. So, that is pretty much it. Make sure you go on iTunes, leave us a review on the podcast feed. You can email us, comicpodcast at thebatmanuniverse.net. You can go onto the forums, become a member, check it out. There's all kinds of discussions happening all the time. So, that's pretty much it. This is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. You have been listening to the Batman Universe comic podcast. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Later.